sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be gathered together here in the house of the Lord this morning. Let me start with a word of prayer. May if you all could rise to your feet. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We stand in your presence. and Lord, we just pray that you would come and meet with us here. Pray you would give me words to speak as I share, and just pray you would help me to say the things you want me to say. Just pray it could be a blessing, an encouragement to each one here. Pray that your spirit would guide me. Just pray you be with the remainder of the service here too. Pray this on your name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So I have to talk about this morning is a person from the Old Testament and that passage that was read this morning about walking in the Spirit, I think this is probably a Old Testament example of walking in the Spirit, um, although it's not often referred to as that in the Old Testament. Um, I'd like to speak about Hezekiah and maybe it's a little disclaimer here, as I was studying into this and um, looking into it some, there were various parts of it that convicted me, so I feel like I should be the one being preached at for these things, and a lot of what I have to share just comes out of some of the um, things that convicted me as I was studying this. So Hezekiah was a king, and you can read about it in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, or in 2 Chronicles chapters 29 to 32, or in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. And he was very zealous to serve the Lord, and he spent a great deal of time and effort, resources to achieve his goals that he had of serving the Lord. Um, and... Early on, I think he realized his the errors of some of his fathers and ancestors and how they had fallen away from serving God. And I might start with looking at some of that in Second Chronicles chapter twenty-eight. So 2 Chronicles 28, this is about Ahaz, who was Hezekiah's father. And his father, Ahaz, served idols rather diligently, it seems. And just to give you a brief overview of what happened during Ahaz's reign, um, 
It says the king of Assyria came and carried away a multitude of the people of Judah. And um, the king of Israel, the other half of the kingdom there, the king of Israel also came into Judah and slew 120,000 men of Judah and took another 200,000 captive. And at some point in there, Ahaz asked the king of Assyria for help, which I'm not sure why, after he had already carried some of them captive, would he go back and ask him for help? Um, But maybe it was against his own countrymen that he felt he needed help. But Assyria didn't end up helping him. And also it says, Edomites came and carried away captives, and the Philistines came and invaded, and they took a whole bunch of different cities, and they lived there. So not only was it just coming and doing damage and leaving, the Philistines just moved on in. And they were planning to stay there. Um, I might just read some here from chapter 28 about Ahaz. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not that which is right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He also he sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of, As- of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captive, and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with great slaughter. And Pekah, the king of Israel, the son of Remaliah, slew Judah 120,000 in one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And... Down in verse 8, it talks about them carrying away captives as 200,000. And then later there was a prophet that came and told him he needs to return those captives. And he basically said, you know, you've, this prophet was talking to the king of Israel and said, you've already sinned a lot before the Lord. I don't think you want to add this on by keeping these captives of your brethren from Judah. So he ended up letting them go then. And so then it goes on about um, the king Ahaz, down in verse 16, sent unto the king of Assyria to help him. The Edomites had come and smitten Judah, carried away captives, and the Philistines has invaded the cities, and so on. And down in verse 20, in Tilgath-Penezer, the king of Assyria came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. So he had asked the king of Assyria for some help, and it says he came and distressed him, which wasn't probably very helpful. And it says, Ahaz took a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. So it seemed he was kind of trying to bribe him or trying to buy some favors from him. And... It seems like in the end, Assyria kind of put a tax or something on them. Um, 
It says, In the time of his distress, he trespassed yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. So it seems like sort of some, in one sense, maybe a bright idea that, well, if these other gods are helping my enemies, then maybe I'll serve those gods and they'll help me too. But it says it was the ruin of him and all of Israel. And we don't have to wonder much why. It says, in several cities of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Um, I missed the verse there. It says, where he, he cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So he was pretty much given over completely to serving other gods, and he seemed to even be very much against the idea of serving the Lord as he closed up the doors of the house of the Lord. So that was Hezekiah's father, and that was probably all that Hezekiah knew growing up as far as the political realm was of the reign of his father. His father had reigned for... um, forget how many years. Okay, so he reigned 16 years, and Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, so he would have maybe remembered a little bit before then, but he would have been fairly young. So most of what he remembered was his father's reign, and and it puzzled me a little bit, where did Hezekiah get some of his zeal for the Lord? And I know there was a prophet around, the prophet Isaiah, and maybe he listened to him more than his dad. And you know, many times um, those influences are difficult to um, get right. If you're surrounded by enough wrong, it's hard to stand up for what is right. So that is sort of the prelude into Hezekiah's life. And it says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. I think we might have a few 25-year-olds around, and to me, a 25-year-old seems a little bit young to run a kingdom, but that's how old he was when he found himself ruler over Judah. But he didn't let that stop him from making a lot of changes. He was very diligent to remove all the heathen worship from Judah without compromise. It says in Second Kings, it kind of sums up some of his life. It says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense unto it. And he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof, 
from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And so that sort of sums up. And I would like to read now in Second Chronicles 29 and just go over some of the different parts of his life and then we'll go back through it and look for some application that we can make today from that. In Second Chronicles 29, starting in verse 1, Hezekiah be- began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the month, in, in the first year of his reign, In the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. And they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment and to hissing, as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him to serve him, that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. So here he was reminding those around him, the Levites, of kind of the peril that they found themselves in and how how they're... Fathers have fallen by the sword, their sons and daughters are in captivity, and he purposed that he's going to make a covenant with the Lord. And he wanted them to stand and serve him. And jumping down to verse 15, and this is speaking of the Levites, and they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple, in the temple of the Lord, into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it abroad into the book Kidron. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify, and on the eighth day of the first month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, And in the sixteenth day of the first month, they made an end. Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and with the showbread table and with the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified and behold there before the altar of the Lord. So here we see that he was fairly diligent in getting things straightened up right away and 
I assume this is in the first month of his reign, it sounded like. And they spent eight days thoroughly and quickly cleansing everything out of the temple. It says, um, um, they want him to carry out all the filthiness out of the holy place. I don't know what that all looked like. I assume there was probably other idols and whatever that they had been setting up in there, and, and he wanted that all cleansed out. So he was fairly fast and fairly thorough in making sure that it was cleaned out in there. <clears throat> and all the people seemed to join in on that enthusiasm. And down in uh, verse 25, he sent the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and psalteries and harps according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king of Seir and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpet. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by King David, by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So it seemed like he had a fair amount of enthusiastic help once he set about to do this great cleansing in the temple. And later on then he invites all the rest of Israel and Judah to come and keep the Passover there, which they did then. Um, and down in chapter 30, is where he established decrees and he wants them all to come. And they came and they did their manner of cleansing and all that. And there were various ones that laughed at him when he said he wanted to keep the Passover, but he seemed to press through all of that. And then in... Once they were ready to keep the Passover, Hezekiah prayed, and I guess there was some process of purification that the priests were supposed to go through, and I think they didn't have enough time to get that all done ahead of time. And um, Hezekiah prayed that, that God would... Um, see, how is it worded here? Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So you can see in that that God was very much on the same page with Hezekiah in the revival that had come there. And then that brings us to what seems like a little more major event now in Hezekiah's life in chapter 30, um, chapter 32. <clears throat> and this is now after Hezekiah has sort of set up all of the priests and the Levites and 
He had everything figured out, it seems. And the, it says, After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities, and he thought to win them for himself. Now, it seems like he may have missed an important detail here is that um, Judah was no longer serving the gods that they used to be serving back when God was fighting against Judah, and now God was fighting for Judah, not against them. And there's a couple things in here that I noticed. One, in verse um, on verse 2 there, when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? So he seemed to be doing a few things to make it more difficult for the king of Assyria. And, and then it goes on, it says, He strengthened himself, he built up a wall and raised up towers, and then another wall and repaired Milo, not sure what that is, in the city of David, and he made darts and shields in abundance. He set up captains of war and, and all that goes with that. And then after all of his work to equip his people, he tells them all to be strong and courageous. And then it starts into the verbal assault, first of all, from the king of Assyria, from Sennacherib. And he tells them that, you know, he sends messengers out and hollers to the people on the wall that they shouldn't trust in Hezekiah and the gods that, you know, they're serving aren't going to help him any better than all these other people that they've already conquered. And they try to convince them to um, I forget which verse is somewhere. They tried to convince him to come and ride horses for them, which I'm not sure were they hoping they would have some traders that would come out and join the winning side or what they were hoping for there. <clears throat> and Hezekiah told his men to reply that they're not going to give in that easy, basically, and and then later the king of Assyria sends another letter. And well first may I mention what the king of Assyria said is um, it says, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shall thou be delivered? And so he seemed to be trying to discourage the king and all the people of Judah there before the battle even started. And when Isaiah came on the scene, God said about Shennacherib, he was telling Isaiah that he knows Shennacherib's abode and is going out and is coming in and his rage against him. And he says, Because thy rage against me and thy tumult has come up, into my ears, therefore will I put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. And I don't know if they sent that message to Shennacherib or if that was just what Isaiah told the people of Judah, but 
there was a bit of a, a dialogue there, and um, I think we know the we know the outcome there in verse thirty-two. And this is in chapter thirty-two, I believe. No chapter. Let me check here. Okay, now this is over in... Sorry, this is in 2 Kings. I kind of had some of my notes jumping back and forth. Over in 2 Kings 19. I'm going to read a little bit from there. So this is after Hezekiah had prayed and God had answered him. Well, this is part of God's answer there. Um, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come unto this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend the city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So that is the end of that battle there. And you might say that that was the day the victory was finally won for Judah, that they conquered their enemies. But I think in reality, the victory was won a lot earlier, back when um, Hezekiah decided that he's going to make a covenant with the Lord. And he took a stand against the idolatry around him. And many times I think this account can be paralleled with the church and in the church is conquering the foes around us that try to snuff out the church. <clears throat> but I want to maybe focus a little bit more this morning on how it can parallel our own personal lives and the things we go through. Now, our past might not be as bleak as what Hezekiah's was. I don't think any of us came with an upbringing quite like that. Um, and... But nonetheless, there still may be seasons of our life where it seems a little bleak and where it seems like maybe the enemy is winning. Maybe others around us are being taken captive or maybe discouragement has set in. Maybe our temple is broken down or closed up or maybe our lamps have been put out. Maybe our altars don't have any fire burning on them. And <clears throat> I think it is um, helpful to look at an example like this of Hezekiah and some of the effort and the zeal he put into it to encourage ourselves when we find ourselves in similar circumstances. And like it says there in Second Chronicles, turn back there, Second Chronicles 29 again, in verse 3 where it says that in the first year of his reign, in the first month, 
he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And it seems he didn't waste any time in realizing the need around him and, and stepping up to do something about it. And he goes on to say he made a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. I had to think, you know, maybe for us, maybe we need to make some commitments. Maybe there's doors that we need to open that have been closed a long time. And like it says on down in verse 16 about how they cleansed the temple and they brought out all the uncleanness they found in the court of the house of the Lord. I'm just thinking for us, like for my personal life, maybe there's uncleanness that is in the temple that is hindering that communion with God. I thought it was interesting there how he took eight days to cleanse the temple. I don't know how big the temple was. One might think, you know, if you got a few people in there, you get it done in one day. But I think he was a little more thorough than that. He wanted it completely cleaned from top to bottom. And maybe sometimes we need to even spend eight days to set aside to to search our own personal temples and see if there's any uncleanness that needs to be cleansed. On in verse 25 to 30, where he set up singers with their harps and with their psalteries and cymbals, and they they had people playing musical instruments and singing, and they were rejoicing. And, you know, maybe that's one thing that we face sometimes. Maybe the singing is missing or lacking in our personal life, where there is no song in our temple. Maybe we need to sing sometimes and even as it says there, when they sacrificed, they made an end of offering, the people bowed themselves and worshipped. Maybe we need to have that in our life. And I know for myself that's something that was convicting to me. How many times do I spend time just worshipping God in secret and singing and seeking His face? And then where it talks about them bringing sacrifices. So the people, the congregation, also brought sacrifices. And it says, the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. And the number of burnt offerings which the congregation brought was threescore and ten bullocks, a hundred rams, two hundred lambs, and these were for a burnt offering. And the consecrated things were 600 oxen and 3,000 sheep. There's quite an amount of animals that were brought in for the sacrifices. And just comparing that to our own lives, how many times are there things in my life where sacrifices need to be made? And not physical animals as such, but maybe sacrifices to um, things that interfere with our communion with God or things that are robbing us of time that would be better spent elsewhere. And then on in verse 30 where he established a decree for all of Israel and Judah to keep the Passover. And it says there were those that um, they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. And sometimes... I think we might get the impression that if we were to get really zealous for serving God, if we were to go all out, that people might look at us cross-eyed or they might laugh at us. And again, from 
the example of Hezekiah here, he didn't let that stop him from carrying on with his plans to keep the Passover. He had set in his heart that that's what he wanted to do. He had made a covenant with God that he was going to serve him, and that was the next step. And even though people laughed, he moved ahead and did it anyway. And it says in verse 20, uh, the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah, and he healed the people. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with, a loud, singing with loud instruments to the Lord. So it seemed like God was blessing them, and they were getting their song back, and they were able to, um, to worship there. And it says, after they had... Um, after they had worshipped there, they kept the feast seven days. They decided to keep it another seven days. So they spent a total of 14 days feasting and singing and um, giving offerings there. <clears throat> and then, so after all that, you know, so Hezekiah basically at this point has been diligent with getting rid of everything evil out of Israel, or out of Judah, sorry. And then when you go on into chapter 32, is where the enemy comes back. The snack rib comes and decides he's going to win the city for himself. And in our lives too, we can know that the enemy will come back, and especially if we get zealous for serving God, the enemy will be right there, and they'll try different tactics, they may try discouragement. They may try whatever um, whatever our easiest places to fall is probably where the enemy will attack. This time when the enemy came, something was different in Judah there. The temple was open and clean and the lamps were burning and the people have been sanctified and there is singing and joy and communion again with God. And God was once again fighting for his people. So in one sense, the battle was very easy at that point. They didn't even have to go out and fight. They just prayed to God and God took care of the enemy. And But yeah, they didn't minimize the importance of the battle. They took it very seriously as we see when Hezekiah goes and he, um, he called, I think he called someone of a fast and he went and spread a letter before the Lord and told God about what Shennacherib had said, which I'm sure God knew that already. And I think many times that can be helpful for us too if we um, remind God of what we're facing. Not that he doesn't know already, but it helps us sometimes to put things in perspective so we can better sense our need of him. And so they took the, they took the threat seriously and they called out to God with a desperate plea for help. I thought it interesting there where it talks about him um, stopping the waters of the fountains so that saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? So I think he was determined to make things as difficult as possible for the enemy to gain a foothold there. And 
he was determined that the enemy would not be found camping outside his gate. And then I wondered for myself and for our lives, how many times do we leave water sitting out for the enemy? How many times do we let the enemy camp outside our gate and just try to convince ourselves it's not going to do much harm? I mean, we still have a wall between us and the enemy. But Hezekiah did not take any chances, not on his watch. He was determined to, to win the battle. An enemy outside the wall was too close for comfort. And just thinking of our own lives, how often do we react that way when we see an enemy camping at our gate? Are we taking practical steps like Hezekiah did to ensure that there is no provisions left for the enemy? And just think of my own life and things like technology and entertainment and the pursuit of work and all that that sometimes we may think is harmless in a way, but sometimes we wonder, does it actually make it easier for the enemy to gain a foothold in our life? Are there things that we are allowing, thinking it's not going to do much harm, but in reality it might be leaving water out there for the enemy? I think it's important too then to do what Hezekiah did in addition to doing our best to leave nothing for the enemy to use against us is then to cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And the, I think the key there is realizing, like Hezekiah did, the importance of the battle as he saw the enemy there. It wasn't like he assumed that, oh, yeah, well, I'm serving God, so he'll take care of that. He still um, took it very seriously and went and did something about it and cried out for deliverance. And when we have our temple clean and everything else is in order and and there's fire on the altar, the Lord does deliver us from every foe. In Second Kings it says that um, passage about he shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there nor come before it with a shield nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So that is my encouragement for us, that we keep ourselves in that place of having our temples clean and the, the door open in the house of the Lord and keeping fire on our altar so that when there is a battle when we cry out to the Lord for deliverance that he will be there to help and that he will defend for his own sake. So that's all I have this morning, just an encouragement, I guess, that God is on our side and he will fight for us. May God bless you with that.